Welcome to part two of this special season finale of Papa PhD in collaboration with the What Are You Going to Do With That podcast from the Minerva Center for the Study of Law Under Extreme Conditions at the University of Haifa. In the second part, Dani Reges talks about her life outside her research. During this conversation, we had a great exchange about working versus volunteering and about the importance of non-research activities in terms of networking for your academic and professional life. I, in a way, learned that academia is about rejection. You will have to face rejection, but the positive thing about it and what I learned about it is that that's okay. You just need to find a way for yourself to deal with that, to not take all of that personally. Like you not getting a scholarship, you not getting into a conference or your article being dismissed doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean anything about you as a person. And that's what we're saying. The PhD is a lifestyle, but it isn't the only thing in your life. You need to find these other things that are important to you. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. So, uh, welcome to part two of my interview with Dani Reges. And in part one, we had just uh, finished by uh, by talking about what her day to day uh, as a PhD uh, uh, researcher was in in her domain. But in part two, um, I'd really want, uh, Danny to focus on what your projects have been, uh, you know, and one of them we already mentioned and, and is quite evident, but what other projects you've been developing besides just your PhD research? And the idea is also to see if we can take out of that how that's enriched your experience as a PhD student and how listeners out there could maybe take some some example of that to also uh, wherever they are uh, you know find a group of like-minded people and also enrich their experience and make it a, a richer one and uh, how to make their PhD a more diverse experience than just doing their research that's what I wanted to say um, I've been to a lot of different things and this is something my uh, supervisor has warned me for. So um, now I'm a bit more cautious uh, and I'm trying to do it a bit less, but I've been slowed down by the whole situation with Corona anyway. So I just want that to be a little bit of a warning when I start talking about all the fun things that I did, because you definitely have to keep in mind how much a person can do without burning out, right? Uh, so let me start with telling you about my love for conferences, especially if they're paid for and abroad. <laughs> um, in a way, uh, it allowed me to keep traveling, which I so much love. Um, in my first year of my PhD, I managed to spend three weeks in Austria, where I'd never been before, somewhere in the mountains, beautiful place, um, at the Alpach European Forum. Um And there, are, it was a huge conference on all kinds of different topics with 200 uh, students, not only PhDs. There were just a few PhDs. Most of them were MAs from all over the world. I shared my flat with someone from Pakistan, right, as an Israeli, uh, from the Philippines and uh, from South Korea. 
and we went to uh, arts events and IA events, uh, conferences about politics, about health, all kinds of fields. Um, Ban Ki-moon spoke there. The president of Austria spoke there. Uh, I was invited as part of an Israeli delegation to a very fancy dinner with uh, people who worked at important banks and things like that. So this was like a big thing that I was very excited about. And in the meantime, I got to give a presentation about my research and about uh, um, my proposal. And I got some really useful feedback from people from the field. So this was absolutely great. Uh, so in a way, it was a lot of fun. And for me, it was for free. But it was also definitely work because I got that feedback that I needed uh, to continue the project. And then I've also spent some time in Brazil, uh, which was the first time. It was really great. And I gave myself a few extra days in Rio. Uh, also talking about migration. And I learned a lot about migration in the global south because I focus very much on Europe. Um, and then I've done my trips to Germany for the research. Um, so this way I get to travel a lot. Oh, I've been to Cairo in January. First time that I've seen the pyramids. Uh, for a conference of the IOM, the International Organization for Migration, that's connected to the UN. And I uh, presented my research on the poster there, which was pretty cool. And there were also policymakers there, which is something I'm very much interested in, in going into after um, doing the PhD. So also some networking, definitely. And just to see how they spoke about similar topics outside of academia. Um, so these are the things that I love doing. That's definitely a project because you have to apply for these things, especially if they involve money, right? And then you need to plan all of your trip, which takes a lot of time and only gives you a flight ticket and a place to stay, but doesn't say anything about the preparation of your actual talk or poster at the conference. Um, and then there you're also working because you're networking, you're talking about your topic, you're trying to get other people involved, um, things like that. But for me, it was very motivating. It's, uh, it's everything I ever wanted to travel for work, right? Um, and besides that, I've always worked next to my degrees. I am getting a scholarship, but it's not enough to survive of. So I'm working also for the center where I study. And there I'm responsible for all kinds of guest lectures, like getting the guest lecturers in, also from European countries to speak to our students in English. Um, we also have trips for students planned, for example, to embassies here in Israel so they can see uh, what their options are after the degree. Um, and also conferences and colloquia. So uh, this way I really got to learn how to organize the, these events and be working on something that's not so much research, but still helps with the networking. So that's what I did. Uh, besides that, I'm doing a lot of sports. I go to the gym five times a week. In the other episode in which you are our guest and I'm the host of what are you going to do with that, I talk about my passion for kickbox, but that's not the only thing I do. I also do some Zumba and Pilates. <laughs> Uh, and it really helps me to do the physical exercise uh, at the end of a day of studying and sitting behind my computer. Um, I mean, I feel much more comfortable with my body and uh, it also makes me relax because it's an hour outside of my brain, really. So I can recommend yeah. that. Yeah, it's been proven that 
that besides the physical the, the physical aspect of staying fit there's the whole mental aspect of, of physical activity for sure you know if um, doing sports is considered as let's say as a treatment well i think you have you're taking enough <laughs> you're, staying, <laughs> yeah. you're staying healthy that's good i try <laughs> uh, it's very good and it's very important for all graduate students uh, uh, because again these are projects that take a long time you can kind of get into this tunnel vision and forget about easy things like social life staying healthy it's very 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 important yeah and then the last thing that i actually wanted to mention um, is of course the podcast what are you going to do with that which is the show i host um, which i'm not doing alone i'm doing it together with my colleague ido who does the editing and also helps very much with our social media accounts. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and that allows me to meet all of these people that are doing uh, or have done similar things um, in different fields. I've been talking to people from international law, people from STEM, um, but also people in migration studies and other fields um, to talk to them about how they got to where they are now, be it at the end of the PhD uh, in the postdoc or even after that, uh, just landing their first tenorship, uh, for example. Um, and to, to hear how they deal, dealt with it and just the questions that you're asking me also um, to give some tips and recommendations on how to deal with all these things. Mm -hmm. I, do, I definitely want to uh, ask you after, you know, after a season of, of what you're going to do with that, you know, a couple of lessons and themes that you see develop. But first, I want to ask you something which has to do with working for the department that you're at and these kind of uh, alt-ac, uh, alternative academic jobs, they're out there and there's something important about them which is they're at an arm's reach. They're, you know, you don't, it's at, at your department. It's something that's fairly easy to implement and from what I hear often, these um, organizations, they know that you're a researcher, so the expectations they have, you know, they kind of know that you have to dedicate time to your research. How comfortable would you be recommending the listeners to look for these types of jobs around them? And what would you say? You already talked about uh, networking, but what would you say other uh, positive aspects would you say working um, with the department ha have brought you uh, in your life today? Right. Well, uh, first of all, it's very helpful to just have the extra pocket money, of course. Uh, and then and then to have the connections of, of course, my supervisor, who's part of that center, of the supervisor of the MA that I spoke about, who is part of that center. People already know you that then think, okay, so this girl speaks a few languages, European languages. This is what we need in our European study center. Um, and she will probably also be dedicated to it because she will also be working with these supervisors. Um, and that's all very great. So it's a little bit of an easier way in um, and it gives you that extra pocket money. Um, other things that I think are great about it is, like I said, I went to a lot of conferences and I love doing that. Um, but it takes um, some time out of your job, right? Like when I was in Austria, I was there for three weeks. Uh, when I was in Cairo, I was there for a full week too. So because the people I worked with are in academia, and understood that I'm first of all a PhD student and then their co-worker, they allowed me to do these things and to make up for the work after or from a distance. And that's how it worked. And I'm not sure if I would have been able to do the same thing if I had a job outside of academia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's basically, uh, you, said, you said what I was thinking about, so I, I, I'm not going to repeat it. But 
that's very very important and again because it's it's so easy it's not so you don't have to okay i'm going to leave university and go to the job that's on the other side of town you know th- th- there's many reasons why this is a very very logical and also interesting thing to look at the jobs around you in the department in the university where you are now the other thing that i wanted to know about that is because you also talked about um organizing um uh, outings for the students etc so there's also an aspect of uh project management so m- where i w- where i'm going is I, it feels like you're developing other skills that you would not be developing if you were just doing your research am i am i wrong no you're very right uh, and i think i want to add to my answer on the other questions you just asked me, which is also related to this question, is that by working for the place that you're studying at, you also learn a lot about the institution you're studying in. You learn how it works. You learn what is expect of different, expected of different people who work there, of the administrative workers, uh, how much workload they actually have, why it is that sometimes they're not able to answer your email immediately. Uh, so it makes you understand a lot more of the whole system uh, which could make it a lot more easier for you to to go through that system whenever you need something. Um, so that's very helpful uh, while you're doing the PhD. And I also think if you later want to stay in that and have a position in that institution, that you need to know what it's like, right? And how it works. So, of course, you do the networking. Um, when, you do ne- uh, when you organize events that are outside of the university, for example, these outings, then you also connect to people in embassies and people in different places. Uh, so you, you have those connections. So if later on you don't want to stay in that institution, you want to go to a different university or you want to go to uh, into a different job altogether, then you already have people here and there who know that you can organize a conference. Uh, that you have what it takes to talk to different people, to arrange the location, to arrange the speaker, to maybe speak there yourself, public speaking, also a very important thing to learn, uh, which you also do at conferences, of course, um, are definitely skills that you can actually write on your resume next to doing research. Yeah, well, and there's that too, for sure, for sure. And and f- very important not to forget to include them, even you know in your CV, even though it's not academic stuff, it, it shows your uh, dedication to to projects that you're impl- you know implicated in. It shows that you have uh, f- that you're uh, you have enough drive to to do different things plus uh, plus carry on your research. And eventually, if you if you leave academia, it'll be uh, really an asset in ter- in terms of uh, of your CV of showing oh this person. Uh, wants to develop projects and and you know they they clearly they uh they have a lot of energy a lot of drive and look at all the skills that they have developed while at the same time getting a degree i i totally agree and now for a short message if you're preparing to launch your podcast you may be asking yourself what hosting platform to use i launched papa phd on blueberry because i wanted a professional service that would interface with my wordpress website that would robustly broadcast Papa PhD to all platforms, and that would allow me to grow my podcast in years to come. If you're starting a serious podcast project, do consider one of the first podcasting hosts out there, offering state-of-the-art services, including IAB-certified statistics, based on years of experience in the podcasting space. 
So go to papaphd.com forward slash blueberry, that is spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, or use the promo code PapaPhDBlue in one word on the Blueberry website to unlock a one-month free trial of the platform. And now, back to the interview. One thing, one thing that's come up in another interview, uh, and, and again, this depends on where you come from, your education, you know, your upbringing, and, and uh, whether you're a first-generation in, in, in graduate school. You know, one thing that you may not be conscious of is the importance of establishing a rapport with professors. And in this case, you know, because you're even uh, getting implicated in, in the department, it's even deeper, but it's important. It's funny because networking, and I'm, I'm, maybe I'm going a bit long here, but some people can see networking as negative. I've had that. But I think it's just natural. And like you were saying, if you organically you create a rapport with either your professors or groups around you somehow this will organically grow your network and it's almost 100% sure that someone in this network will be the person who will look at you and say oh did you look at this opportunity and then it'll lead to something professionally eventually yeah. but the way you're doing it and even working for the department is even a step further so i, I think it's it's a great example to follow so listeners out there, look around, see what's being done, see if it's something that interests you that you might volunteer for even, if you can and if you have enough funding, that that's also another uh, avenue. I'm not sure, though, if I would actually agree with that. Um, it's a good thing to be out there and to develop different skills that will, in the future, help you finding other jobs. Um, but being a PhD student or an MA student even, and really being considered often as the one on the bottom of the ladder. It's very easy for people to uh, abuse that and to expect things from especially these people to do things for free. And I always try to say, which is difficult, I struggle with it sometimes too. Sometimes I think something is very interesting and I want to do it, but then they don't offer anything in return. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to just turn down this amazing opportunity because they're not paying me. And the answer should be, if you can, if you're that privileged, right? Uh, no, you shouldn't be doing that because then these people are going to keep doing that. And then you normalize this whole system. It's important to be appreciated. You got into that PhD because of your skills and because of what you can do. And people should, in a way, reward you for that. I agree. And uh, again, because I was saying this thinking of, of you know having an idea in mind and I was doing my PhD in a department uh, to do with neuroscience, and every year they have this brain awareness week, and you know they uh, they prepare uh, students to go to uh, primary schools, high schools to teach kids about science, and it's it's volunteering. It's not you know it's not something that that is paid. Right. It depends on what it is, of course. Exactly. Exactly. This is one week in the year where you do this and you know you need of course you need to if you're going to volunteer you need to it needs to be something that you, you know that it's going to fulfill you and that you you're taking even though you're not taking money from it you're taking something important for you for it exactly of course uh you yeah if, if you're doing a job the whole year for free maybe there's there's something wrong there <laughs> but let me put it like this for example so my situation is different because I have this as a job and I am getting paid for this. But if there would be a university that would say, okay, you are our PhD student and you're getting a scholarship for doing the PhD. 
So now we're halfway through the semester and we want to do a conference, but we have no one to do it. So we want you to organize the conference for us. Go and do it. Then I would be like, no, this was not part of the contract. This is very easy to ask of someone in this position because they might be afraid to tell you no. It's a lot of extra work that also takes away time to do sports and to do your research. And then I would say, no, this is not okay to ask. This this is not a kind of volunteering that I could support. Mm-hmm. It's fair and, uh, and I agree. And I think the example I gave is quite different from that too, right? Exactly. It's very, it's, it's very, you know, it's a specific frame of time, very short. And, uh, and, um, and there's also, anyway, there's a, there's a fun aspect there if you, if you're into science communication, but I uh, know I agreed we shouldn't, uh, enable any sort of abuse in that sense. Uh, I, I, I agree with you and, uh, and thanks for giving that example. It kind of puts it all into, into context. We've talked about what experience you're accruing by by doing this work. Uh, there's the networking aspect, and we talked about uh, the, the all the, the physical activities that you do, and uh, it's it's quite impressive. But now, so about the podcast. So you talked about uh, what what are you going to do with that? Um, the podcast is uh, uh, supported or by the Minerva Center. Can you just tell a little bit about what the mission of the center is exactly? Yeah, so uh, the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law under Extreme Conditions um, is also a research center um, that is focused very much on international law. Um, We have students there from all over the world, also Israelis who are local, but we also have people coming in from everywhere. Last year we had someone from Greece, the year before that we had a fellow from uh, Germany, um, and every year, or we try to have every year also, a a group of students coming in for about a week or so to really do this uh, seminar where they also get to speak about their own research themselves. These are then PhD students who also get feedback from experts in the field who either also come to see us at the university or we do it uh, online. Um, This is really great. Uh, This is a project of Edo as well. Uh, I joined last year and uh, it's it's so very helpful and it's so much fun to be with peers uh, and talk about their very interesting research, which last year was about terrorism and belligerency. Oh, wow. Yes. So it's Edo Rosenzweig, right? That's correct. And uh, just just before you go on, there's a YouTube channel, isn't there, where some of these uh, seminars are? That's right. We have a closed... We have a closed session uh, in which I am joining, in which we really talk about ongoing research. So this is that other people can't really see or take anything from it and that it's a safe environment. But then in the afternoons, uh, we have uh, actual lectures and these are recorded. Uh, And you can see these again on the YouTube channel of the Minerva Center. So you can just search for Minerva Center at the University of Haifa on YouTube. And there you can see lectures that have been held in the last few years um, about these topics like terrorism, but also topics of students that I'm working with right now We that we also had as guests on our podcast, of course. Uh, and one of them is, for example, uh, studying um, urban planning. Um, he's an architect and uh, he studies uh, how the city of Haifa, where we live in, uh, has overcome conflict uh, after the 48th war um, between different uh, groups that live in the city. Mm-hmm. 
I will definitely put the link for the YouTube channel on the notes of the episode because I think it's going to in be interesting for people to go to go see and hear about what you, all, all all you've been mentioning and talking about. Yeah, and there you can actually also see us instead of only hear us. So yeah. it could be nice. <laughs> that's it. Um, uh, so so that that's the mission uh, and and that's the model of the Minerva Center and. Um, and I imagine the idea for the podcast stemmed from, I guess, getting these people and thinking, why not bring the experiences and um, the, the knowledge of these people to a wider audience? Yes, because we've had so many amazing people from all over on so many different topics. Um, and Ido has been in this uh, for a while. He's himself also writing his PhD. Um, and I think... It was his idea, right? This is his baby, really, the podcast. Um, to say, you know, why don't we just air this? See whoever is willing to listen to it and uh, see if we can contribute to this conversation. I think he realized back then already um, what some of the topics would be. Whereas I jumped into it and volunteered to be the host um, because I thought it would be very interesting to talk to these other people, which would also help me. Um, and I'm very comfortable speaking in English. Um, so it was a good match, <laughs> even though I still make mistakes, like at least I am doing it. Um, yeah, uh, I, I didn't, I thought, okay, I'm going to talk to these people about their research topic. Um, but I, as I went along the way, I started realizing that I heard similar things. I mean, everyone has their own story and their own very unique journey, but in a way I always hear similar struggles like what was difficult about doing the phd where did they find support how did they get through it or sometimes not get through it which is also okay um and so along the way i started focusing also in my questions as a host more on those things um and i think we have a wonderful product because of the people that we have interviewed definitely and the the cool thing and the the feedback i've been having is a lot from people who are at the beginning of their either their PhD or even their masters and who feel by seeing the examples of other people and seeing that there's not just one way or one track to follow it makes them feel uh, more confident and less anxious about what's coming up and about the after and uh, yeah that's what kind of drives me to do this and I think you guys too that's what our title is all about, right? Like I'm a political scientist and I'm studying migration. So what people ask me first is, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> and this yeah. is a question that's very difficult for me to answer because it's something uh, that I'm only going to have to start thinking about in two years from now. Um, so you have a little bit of an idea and you have hopes and dreams, um, but it's it's hard to really see it for what it is. But the good thing is that now, by having these conversations, your brain, even unknowingly, you, you start to accrue to, to get some... Like you were doing for your project, your, your brain is starting to, uh, uh, to get some data, and eventually you'll see that going to year two, three, four... By year four, I'm sure now you have you're gonna have a much better picture, and and you you won't feel like you're giving a you're you're doing a leap of faith into uh, the future. You're you're uh, you know just talking about people about uh, uh, talking with people about their journey. It, it you know it shows you uh, avenues that you hadn't imagined. Uh, for it also like you said shows that oh I'm not the only one struggling. Basically everyone 
at a point of the RPG has some sort of struggle. And all of those little things are things that kind of boost you to feel less anxious and uh, and eventually to kind of start seeing uh, the puzzle, you know, being built in front of you. Yeah, I mean, I do hope so. Let's see what time brings. But I already, I already learned so much. I'm sure, I'm sure. And, and, and you're going to learn much more. Now, you've learned so much. And that's exactly the segue for, for, for what I wanted to ask, which is just from season one, just for the sake of the listeners out there, maybe what was the most surprising thing that you learned and that you you saw come back in one, two, three interviews? What what kind of, not shocked you, but got you thinking, oh, okay, this is interesting. Uh, all of these people are, you know, mentioning the same thing. Right, well, without giving too many spoilers, I'm not sure if it's like shocking or super... Um, super new, anything like that to me. It's really like more of a slow eye opener that step by step I, I keep hearing like, oh yeah, that's also a way of looking at it. Um, and sometimes even complete opposites. Um, like w once I heard from one of the guests, like, oh, I hate conferences. I hate going there. It's just so much work. And, and I was like, oh gosh, like, why am I doing all of these conferences? Like, this is not what I should be doing. And then the next uh, episode I heard from someone, oh, and I love going to conferences and I go to all of them because I get so much feedback and it's so helpful. And then <laughs> I was like, oh, so it is okay, <laughs> right? That's just one example. Um, and without thinking of it in a negative way, I think uh, what I really learned, which I didn't realize because um, I've just, um, actually submitted my first article to a, a journal when the corona crisis was happening back in April, uh, which is now under review. So yeah, it's super exciting, but I didn't do any of those things before that. And I did manage to get into these conferences that also made me feel pretty good about myself, or at least about the application that I'd written. Um, I didn't experience too much rejection yet. Um, I mean, I, I experienced it in, in different ways. Like sometimes I didn't get good feedback. Of course, I had this reviewer of my proposal who didn't have very nice things to say. Um, sometimes I was writing something and it just wouldn't work out or I had a thought and um, someone else had written that this was totally wrong to think. So I had to drop all of this writing that I had already done. You know, things like this do happen. But I hadn't experienced major rejections yet. And I think... What I got through all of these episodes is that everyone was almost constantly being rejected. And I, in a way, learned that academia is about rejection. And I'm saying this not only in a negative way. Like, yes, you will have to face rejection. But the positive thing about it and what I learned about it is that that's okay. You just need to find a way for yourself to deal with that, to not take all of that personally, like you not getting a scholarship, you not getting into a conference, or your article being dismissed doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean anything about you as a person, right? And that's what we're saying. The PhD is a lifestyle, but it isn't the only thing in your life. You need to find these other things that, import that are important to you. So if one paper gets rejected, that's sad. 
you need to deal with that. You are allowed to cry over that, to complain about it, to be sad. That's all right. But you also need to gear up, get back out there and understand that you are not a failure. Um, and that's something that I've learned. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned from the podcast. Danny, I, I almost don't want to say anything else because at the end of the episode, I always like to ask for a, a last word of advice. And I think it was just so beautifully put, what you just said, that unless you would have something else that you wanted to add, really, I was just going to ask you, like, if people want to reach out, uh, maybe you can share also how to listen to the podcast. But if you want, people want to reach out, how they, how they can find you uh, on, on social media, etc. Uh, so did you want to add something else? Because this message that you just said is one of the most important ones. And I just don't want to spoil it by by wanting to tack something to the end of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, I think that's the most important thing. And if you want to learn more about how I've come to learn that you're not a failure and that rejection is okay and something we're going to have to deal with, then I just want to mention, go and listen to our podcast, which doesn't only, like yours, focuses on the career, but also about the academic journey itself. So you can find us, first of all, on social media, where we post about our guests and about their research, and you can see what we actually look like on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and you can listen to our episodes by uh, finding us on Spotify, also on YouTube, on the Minerva channel, and um, on any major uh, podcast platform, such as uh really anything. What do you have? Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Uh, these are all of the big ones that you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. So find us there. What are you going to do with that? Or at what are you going to do? What to do with that? Where the two is spelled as the number two. Again, I'll uh, leave all of those links in the notes page. Danny, I had a, a lot of fun uh, hearing about your story. I think we touched upon different things, uh, even unexpected things. Uh, um, that I find very important and uh, and thank you and thank you for sharing some really really important messages especially this last one about uh, rejection and and about not over identifying with your work with your research the research is something you do it's not something you are you're you are a much richer being than than just the scientist and that's why it's important to also cultivate these other sides of your life, the social, uh, uh, physical activity. For some people, it's going to be a creative aspect. Do that and you'll see uh, it'll, bring, it'll make your whole graduate school experience a much more balanced one. So again, thank you so much for having come on, on Papa PhD. And I just want to remind everyone that there's a, a sister episode that's up today. Uh, at the same time on what to do with that. Thank you, Danny. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to part two of my conversation with Danny Reges. Now find what are you going to do with that on your podcast app and listen to the sister episode where Danny interviews me and explore season one of their podcast, where they have great conversations about life as an academic researcher with diverse and interesting guests. This is the last episode of season one of Papa PhD. Thank you for being a faithful listener. If this is the first episode you've listened to, do go and explore the conversations I've had with over 50 guests in this first season, 
I'm sure you'll find inspiration in many of the stories shared and strategies to apply in your academic and professional journey. And if you do like the show, share your favorite episode with a friend. Word of mouth is the best way you can help indie podcasters like me. I'm currently interviewing new guests for season two, which will start on September 24th. So mark the date on your calendar. I'll be expecting you. Have a great summer, happy listening, and happy sharing. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. Oh,